0: As you are seated, turn to Samuel, the book of Samuel. We are in 2 Samuel chapter 3 this morning. Last week, we saw the beginning of this conflict, this domestic conflict. We're calling this series, two parts here, yesterday, last Sunday, and this Sunday, Civil War. This is part two. And we saw this conflict begin last week between the 11 tribes of Israel and the one tribe of Judah. I'm going to be using the term Israel to mean the 11 tribes, all of Israel. There are 12 tribes of Israel, but the 11 tribes in northern kingdom, which we'll see uh, in Solomon, actually, if you read, continue to read. But when I say Israel, I mean the 11 tribes to the north. When I talk about Judah, it is the one tribe to the south of, uh, of where, where King Saul's son is. So Israel, 11 tribes, Judah, the one tribe as we move forward. Let me bring everybody up to speed quickly here. The first king of Israel, his name was Saul. He's dead. His sons have died, particularly Jonathan, the man of faith. The loyal friend of David has died. God gave Saul to Israel to be their first king as part and part as judgment. They wanted a king that they wanted, not the king that God wanted for them. Saul was a rebellious king. He never really got it right. He never really realized that he is the king, small k, under the king, almighty king, And he was to follow the ways of the true king, God himself. He trusted himself. He wanted to do do things on his own. And after God rejected Saul, he promised that a king would come. uh, Somebody else would come that God had placed over Israel. According to God's heart, his name is David. David has been anointed privately. And since his anointing, uh, we know that he's been a fugitive. He's been on the run. Saul has been trying to kill him. They were actually... Confidants, Saul and David. At one point, Saul was being harassed by an evil spirit. David would play the harp and would calm Saul down. He was an armor bearer to Saul. David was also, if you don't know this, David was uh, David was yeah the the nephew the uh, son in law of Saul. Saul's daughter, Michael, was married to David. We'll see that importantly today. By the time we get chapter. Uh, chapter 2 of Second Samuel, not only is Saul and Jonathan dead, David has stopped running. He is mourned over, in chapter 2, he, by the time we get chapter 2, he is mourned over the death of the king and his good friend Jonathan. And now God's promise to David that he will be king over Israel is beginning to become a reality. God's promises are is yes in Christ. God's promises will come to pass according to his time, not yours. <laughs> Amen is right. We want it now. But before this happens, there's chaos, there's fighting, there's a civil war, there's division in the kingdom. There's a, there's a fight for power, for the throne. Can you believe people used to do that back then? Fighting for control over power over people. Yes, that's sarcasm. Bazinga. For those who watch the show. David's first in, in, for David first inquires of the Lord. He's done mourning. He's in, he's in a place in the Philistine territory. And he inquires of the Lord. Chapter 2, verse 1. What to do next? God says, go to Judah. Go to the city of Hebron. David does so. They anoint him king over Judah. The one tribe. In chapter 2, verses 11 through 12, it appears that David was king for seven years, seven and a half years. And then five years into his kingship over Judah, Abner comes along in Israel and appoints ish Saul's son, over the kingdom of the eleven tribes. Conflict is born. It will ultimately lead to the splitting of God's kingdom. After Solomon dies, there will be a split that will never return. But for now, Abner is looking out for Abner. <laughs> he's the commander of the army of Israel. Ishbosheth, the 11 tribes. He's a man who wants to keep his power. He's a man who wants to keep his position. And although Ishbosheth was crowned king, he's a puppet king. His strings are being pulled by Abner. And last week, we saw the civil war began because Abner was the aggressor. Abner left his home, his kingdom, his place under the king, and went southwest into the territory of Judah, going toward David, where David was king over Judah. And when he got there, he suggested that we pick 12 men from each side. They should compete with one another. And let's see who wins, and let's see who will be reigning over God's people. And we saw last week that the 12 men turned to each other, and all 24 men were slaughtered terrible terrible and one of David's nephews Asahel chased after Abner and that didn't go well Abner warned him twice to stop chasing him as he was heading home and and Asahel chased him anyway and we said that that the, the scripture says that the butt of his spear went through his stomach and poured his guts all over the ground I wanted to say that I hope you ate then in chapter 2, verse 24, it says that Joab and Abishai, the two brothers of Asahel, the older brothers, pursued Abner, and they got close to him, and then there was a standoff. And they decided to make a truce. Abner went home, back to Ispasheth, northeast, while David's commander, Joab, took his army and went south to Hebron, Stopped by Bethlehem, they, bar- they buried Asahel. That's where we begin. In chapter 3, we see very important information. Look with me. I'm not going to have every verse up there, so if you have a Bible, grave, There's still some in the back, a little bit to the left of the booth. But we see very, two very important things The narrate opens up chapter 3. Kind of just a detail that we need to see. Chapter 3, verse 1 of 2 Samuel says this. There was a long war between the house of Saul, Isposheth king, Abner the commander, and the house of David, king of Judah. Joab is the commander there. And David grew stronger and stronger while the house of Saul became weaker and weaker. Okay, mark that. Number two, verse two. Second thing you need to see. And sons were born to David at Hebron. His firstborn was Abnon, of Ahinoam, Ahinoam, yeah, of Jezreel. Now, if you're gonna have children, you want some names, here you go. His second son, Chiliab of Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. Third, Absalom, which will play a role later on. He's the son of Mekah, the daughter of Talmai, king of Gesher, another a, 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 a king, not part of Israel. Number four, verse four. And the fourth, Adoniah, the son of Haggith. And the fifth, Shephatiah, the son of Abital. And the sixth, Ethram, of Eglah, David's wife. These were born to David in Hebron. So what the narrator wants to see is David is growing stronger and stronger and stronger. God's plans, God's purposes are being fulfilled. While Saul's house is getting weaker and weaker. And again, God is working his purposes, his plans, his sovereignty, his providence in the kingdom. Second, what the narrator wants to see is that while David was living in Hebron, he was getting busy. (laughs) Six kids. Six women. Some of them are going to bring him great trouble. Now remember, the narrator's reporting the facts, telling us historically what happened. So when someone says, Oh, you believe the Bible, then you must believe there's, you know, you get multiple wives. I mean, look at Abraham and look at Jacob and look at look at Solomon, look at David. No. Actually. It tells us something about David. Actually, the Bible tells us something about all the men who had multiple wives. The first thing you need to know, they're a fool. It never goes well with multiple wives. Trying to love, please, provide, and care for one wife for a lifetime is more than enough. And the men said, all right. Secondly, it's giving us a historical narrative. It's telling us what's happening. And again, I've mentioned this before. It's not like God looked down and said, man, great job. Got some good women there. He doesn't do that. It's telling us what happened. It doesn't describe to us. We know what God wants. Genesis 1 and 2 tells us that when God looked and saw Adam, and it says it's not good for a man to be alone, he put him to sleep and took how many ribs? One. Not two. He gave him Eve, not Eve and Shirley, one man, one woman. David is violating the law. David is violating, I believe, the known will of God. David's not perfect. He points to someone who's perfect. Deuteronomy 17, when God says, you're going to come into the land, you're going to want a king. I'm going to give you a king. He's got to read the Bible. He's got he's to learn the Bible. He's got to stick with the Bible. He's got to learn the will of God and follow the will of God. That's, that's the king I want you to have, Deuteronomy 17. And he says, he shouldn't have multiple wives. Or it says, he shall not acquire many wives for himself, lest his heart turn away. David is sinning, I believe. David's desire for women are going to get him in trouble. We will see, not today. Four things. There's four actual scenes, and I'm going to read it as we get to the scene. The first scene is there's a power play going on in, the, in this battle for power. Uh, then there's the political posturing. I, I, we've seen a lot of that lately. We see it in scripture. Didn't start 10 days ago. Personal payback. And finally, the people's pleasure will end with the gospel, of course. So number one. Remember, there's a civil war going on. David getting stronger. Saul's house getting weaker. We get to chapter 2, verse 6. While there was war between the house of Saul and the house of David, Abner was making himself strong in the house of Saul. Saul had a concubine whose name was Rispah, the daughter of Ahiah. And Ishbosheth said to Abner, Why have you gone into my father's concubine? Not did you, but why did you? Verse 8. Then Abner was angry over the words of Ishbosheth and said, Am I a dog's head of Judah? To this day I keep showing steadfast love to the house of Saul, your father, to his brothers, to his friends. Have I not given you and have not given you into the hand of David, and yet you charge me today with a fault concerning a woman? What's going on? There's a power play going on. Who's going to be king? Ishbosheth was no fool. He may have been king, but he was no fool. And notice that the house of Saul was becoming weaker, we said, there was a man making himself stronger. Saul was getting weaker, Abner was getting stronger in the same household. Good old Abner again. The initiator who took, took, the, took the role, took the lead in chapter two. And here we see him being accused by the king for taking one of the concubines and having sexual relationship. Going into, it means, sexual relationship. It was, it was an executed, a carefully executed plan by Abner. In the Near East, when a king would either take over the kingdom from his father or would battle and, and win a kingdom and, and, and conquer a kingdom. The concubines and the wives were status for that king. Belong to the king, belong to that kingdom. And that's what he's doing. That, that's what Abner's doing. Abner is, 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 is making a, a, a claim. He's, he's throwing his weight around for the throne. A lot of times in the Bible, when you're reading things like this, what, what, you're, what you're seeing is Israel is, is taking in the customs of their neighbors. It does not a good thing many times. That's what they used to do in those days. That's what's going on here. And he f- confronts Abner. Ishbosheth, the king of the 12, 11 tribes of Israel, confronts Abner. And he does so in a rather bold way. And, and he, he doesn't deny his 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 bold public challenge to the throne why are you doing this and abner gets angry look what he says i am a dog am i a dog's head of judah I, am i this wild dog running on the hillside which is unclean considered unclean to the jews are that what you're calling me have i not shown the love and the steadfast love to the house of your father Saul, your friends have i not given you He's talking to the king. Have I not given you into the hand of David and yet you charge me today concerning this fault with this woman? You can almost see the derogatory comment. In other words, how dare you? How dare you question my conduct? You owe everything to me. I fought for you. You owe everything to me. I'm the one that made you king. Practical thought. When we are serving the Lord, when we are worshiping the Lord, when we are gathering as God's people, when we are exercising our gifts and our talents, we have to be very careful that we don't get to that place like, you can't do this without me. And you may not say that, but the attitude may be there. God needs me. That's a very, very, very bad place to be. Very bad place to be. Verse 9, God do so, he says, God do so to Abner and more also if I do not accomplish for David what the Lord has sworn to him to transfer the kingdom from the house of Saul and set up the throne of David and Israel and over Judah from Dan to Bersheba and verse 11, Ishpasheth could not answer Abner another word because he, the king, feared Abner, him. Now, Abner is ready at this point to abandon his allegiance to Ishbosheth, Saul's son, and commits himself, and, and, and wants to use his power, wants to use his authority, wants to use his, his, his substantial weight to benefit David to the detriment of Saul. That's what's happening here. And what's rather interesting in this passage here is that he does so with calling an oath, calling on God, calling on an oath. You do, do, do to me badly, and then acknowledges God's promise to David. In other words, Abner was quite clear from this statement that he knew all along that the Lord had said he was going to transfer the kingdom from the house and set up the throne of David over all Israel, over Judah, Dan to Bathsheba. He knew all along that he was rebelling against God when he set up the kingdom and put Ishbosheth on the throne. He knew what he was doing. I believe he even knew what he was doing years before that while they were chasing David while Saul was still alive. He knew. He knew when he went and picked a fight with Judah, he knew what he was doing. It seems to me that the selfish and, and power-hungry Abner was willing to submit to the plans and purpose of God when everything else was not working out for him. i got no place to turn. I might as well just follow the Lord. I might as well just do what God has been saying over and over. He may have been gaining power. Now remember this. Abner may have been gaining power but Abner also knew that the kingdom itself was shrinking and weakening, and he was looking out for himself Abner was using God for his personal gain Abner was using the plans and purposes of God for his personal gain not to get God not to get God God was useful helpful not beautiful Abner was ruthless and ambitious he's a cunning politician and he sees the handwriting on the wall (laughs) and he wants to transfer the kingdom to David while, while the king sits idly by, helplessly watching the inevitable unfold. Notice also that Abner is taking credit. God do so to Abner, verse 9, if I do accomplish for David whatever the Lord has sworn, I'm doing this. He's the motivator. He's the shaker, right? He could sit himself in control that he was going to do what God was going to do. Let me do it. And, and this flip-flop of this allegiance, I don't think is commendable. To transfer the house of Saul to David now. Look at the king. Look, look. This, is, this is so telling. Something's very wrong, right? When the king of the land, Ispasheth, could not answer Abner because he feared him. Something's wrong. The king fears his commander. It's supposed to be the other way around. You know something's very, very wrong. There's a power play going on. Family, it's better to decide. It's better to decide today, now, in this moment. It's better to decide today, now, in this moment, to humbly submit to the will of God, to to humbly come under the will of God, the word of God, than wait until you're backed into the corner. Some of us have hit rock bottom. I get that. And sometimes we gotta get there in order for God to turn us around, that's good. But sometimes we're just making those changes because we've got no place else to go. We're not interested in the things of God. I hope that's not you this morning. There's a power play going on. Then there's some political posturing. And Abner, wants to give the kingdom over, sent messengers to David, verse 12, on his behalf, saying to David, to whom does the land belong? Make your covenant with me. And behold, my hand, look at all the my and I in his statements. My hand shall be with you to bring over all Israel to you. And he said, David said, good, I will make a covenant with you. But one thing I require of you, that is, you shall not see my face. In other words, don't come into my presence. Don't come to my land. Remember, this is messengers sending this. Don't come into my face. Don't come into my land unless you bring Michael, Saul's daughter, when you come to see my face. Verse 14. And David sent messages to Ishbosheth. Interesting. Saul's son, saying, Give me my wife, Michael, for whom I paid the bridal price of a hundred foreskins of the Philistines. And Ishbosheth sent and took her from her husband, Paltiel, the son of Laash. Verse 16. But the husband, her husband, Paltiel, went with her, weeping after her all the way to Beharam. Then Abner said to him, Go, return. And he returned. And Abner conferred with the elders of Israel, saying, "For some time past, you have been seeking David as king over you now, then bring it about. Let's do it. For the Lord has promised David saying, "By the hand of my servant David, I will save my people Israel from the hand of the Philistines and from the hand of all their enemies." Abner also spoke to Benjamin. And then Abner went to tell David and all that Israel and, and all that Israel and the whole house of Benjamin thought good to do. OK? just love politics. Love it. Ishbosheth ha, wa, was not going to be around long, so why not turn it over now while I got a chance and, and, and turn it over to David and use as much political influence as I can to make sure that when this happens, I'm still standing. I'm good. Abner is always looking out for what's best for him. What's best for him. Not the kingdom. What's best for him. Donald Gray Barnhouse tells a story about a little boy named Willie. Willie was a little guy, and he crawled out onto the ice, risking his own life to rescue a playmate who had fallen through the ice and was drowning, and this little boy ran out to the ice and and dragged him back on safe land. And all the people gathered together, and they were praising him and admiring, and then one lady said to him, Willie, tell us, how did you do it? What made you so brave that you were... We're willing to risk your own life and rescue that little boy. And he said, it's very simple. I had to. He was wearing my skates. Sometimes it's, it looks good, but it's really about self. That was the problem with Abner. Notice Abner doesn't go back to Hebron first himself. He sends messengers. Last time he was there, he, he was defeated, and he, he came running back with his tail between his legs. And now he sends his, his messengers and says, tell David, who does this land belong to? He's not saying, David, this land belongs to you. Let's do this. That's not what he's saying. I don't believe so. I think he's saying, I own this. Even though I'm the commander, not the king, this land belongs to me. I'm the ruler. I'm the one in charge. Let's make a covenant, or, or literally cut a covenant With me. See what he's saying there? You can see the selfishness there. I will give you all of Israel in exchange that my hand may be with you. That's what he says in verse 12. For my hand to be with you. Hmm. David agrees. But David says this one thing. Bring Michael to me. Bring Saul's daughter, my wife, to me. Commentators are having fun with this. Some commentators say because he was so madly in love with her. I don't think so. I'm not saying he wasn't, but I think this was a political move himself. I think this was a political move himself. He has six women. He needed number seven. Now, you know, in the Bible, a lot of time you hear the number seven. Seven means perfection. Not in this case, just so you know. Not in this case. Seven is not perfection here. His hope was that the king, Saul's daughter, being brought back to him would solidify the claims of his kingdom. It would go a long way. Bring Saul's daughter, my wife, back to me. Notice something here too. David does not reply to Abner, but sends messengers to who? Abner is asking the question, and he sends messengers to Isbasheth. Think about that. Abner says, Hey, let's make a deal. David says, All right, give me back the wife. Tell the king to give me back Michael. In other words, he cuts Abner out. Abner now is the middleman. He knows what he's doing. He knows what he's doing. He is weakening Abner's control, putting him in the middle. As far as Michael's concerned, David, we know, paid the price. He fought for, he killed. For her, he paid the price. It says here, a hundred foreskins was the bridal price, a hundred foreskins of the Philistines. I think that's, you know, I have four daughters. I think that's fair and right. But David believed that she belonged to him. He was a, a shrewd politician, it was a good move. When David speaks to Abner, look what he says at the text. Michael, he says to Abner, he, she's the daughter of Saul. In other words, the kingdom in which you are flip-flopping in and trying to gain control and stay in control and maneuver, the king Saul—that's her daughter. But when he talks to Ishbosheth, look what he says. He says, "My wife." It's a difference. One is Saul; they're both the same woman. It's my wife. He tells Ishbosheth. In other words, Ishbosheth, your father Saul took her from me. This—this was—I didn't give her away. Your father took her from me. Remember, it goes back in First Samuel. Your father took my wife and gave it to Paltiel. He's really the one who's to blame in all this. Some think that David is violating uh, Deuteronomy twenty-four when it talks about a man not taking back his wife who has been divorced and then remarried. I don't think so because he didn't. He didn't send Michael away. He didn't send. He didn't divorce her. He was that that woman was taken from him and he David believes she is legally married to to her and and that the relationship between Paltiel was technically an adulterous one now let me just say something we're not talking about a house or a car that family left to a neighbor you know what I mean it's a woman created in the Imago Dei it's it's sad it's really sad and but we see Paltiel here weeping and broken as he is told listen stop following her Go home. Although you got to wonder how that marriage had taken place. You know, oh, she's really like, that's David's wife. You want her? I'm taking her from her. You can have her. Like, you know, Paltu might have said, no, what? No, it's somebody else's wife. I don't I, I, No, We don't know. Was he involved with it? We don't know. But here he's broken. He, he's weeping. It, it's a soap opera. It's a soap opera. Not that I ever saw one. I'm just, you know, from what I was told. Abner confirms with confers with the Israelites the elders and Abner is no fool again he provides endorsement look what he says these things are in accordance verse 17 with the Lord's promise now bring it about the Lord had promised David like this is all about the promise of God the Lord had promised verse 18 by the hand of my servant David I will save my people from Israel from the Philistines from all their enemies they were right to want David as their king but God did promise and God did promise Israel that he would deliver them by the king and by King David and their enemies Abner, really, if you think about it, is preaching the gospel. He's preaching the good news to the people. The gospel is the Lord's promise to send the true and better king, the son of David, his eternal son, Jesus Christ, by his hand, by his work, by his person, by his death, burial, and resurrection, will save the people from their sin, from the grave, from hell itself. And he preaches the good news to them. But I, I, I think his motives weren't right. I think he's looking out for himself. What did Paul say to the Philippian church? Some indeed preach Christ from envy mm. and rivalry, but others from goodwill, the latter do it out of love, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. He's in prison. The former proclaim Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely. But thinking to affect me in my prison, what then? What am I going to say? This is going on. He says, only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaiming, therefore, I'll rejoice. I I, I don't think Abner was being honest. But the gospel is being told to them. So Abner heads out after talking to the Israelites, and he heads down south, and he stops by Benjamin. Benjamin was the tribe of, of Saul. He stops by Benjamin. They respond, yes, this is good. He's on his way, verse 20. Abner came with 20 men. See that? Think about that. Abner came to Judah. Judah's David. David's in Judah. Joab's the commander. They must have had, I don't know how many men, at least 600. That was, that was chapters ago. He's coming with 20 guys. I'm going to take 20 men. I'm going to walk right into Judah. What does that say about David? He trusted David. When David said yes, we'll do this. He trusted him and it took twenty men with him. That, that's pretty. That's pretty good. The integrity and trust that he had of David. When David speaks, when when God's people speak, God's people should speak truthfully, honestly, and follow through with what they say. Amen. Okay. 20 men, David at Hebron, David made a feast for Abner. Let's, let's eat. They did that in, in those days. We do it again today. And the men were with him. Everyone ate. Verse 21, Abner said to David, I will arise and go, and I will gather all Israel to my Lord the king, that they may make a covenant with you, and that you may reign over all that your heart desires. So David sent Abner away, and he went in peace. He went in peace. I'll arise, I will go. David then Dismisses Abner, look what it says, in peace and safety and security. Everything is going as planned. This is, Abner's got to be thinking, yes. This is good. It's going to happen. Let's eat. Let's, let's fellowship. Let's go back. Let's get this done. Power play, the political posture. Everything is going well. Nothing can go wrong. Well, not nothing. Just then... Just as, Abner left by, 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 just as Abner left, as David said, go in peace, just then the servants of David arrived with Joab from a raid, bringing much spoil with them. But Abner was not with David at Hebron, for he had sent them away and had gone in peace. Verse 23, when Joab and all the army that was with him, it was told to Joab, Abner, the son of Ner, came to the king and he has let him go. And he has gone in peace. Then Joab, verse 24, went to the king and said, What have you done? Behold, Abner came to you. Why is it that you have sent him away? He's gone. Verse 25. You know that Abner, the son of Ner, not just any Abner, the son of Ner, came to deceive you and to know you're going out and you're coming in and to know all that you are doing. You can see this personal payback kind of... Starting to, starting to bubble up. Joab, the commander of the king's army, does what he's doing. He's fighting. He's coming back into town. And he just happened to drive right past Abner. They must not have saw each other. Maybe a different direction. We don't know. But he just missed him. David makes an agreement with him and sends him in peace. Now notice in our text, verse 21, Verse 23. Verse twenty, No, verse 21, 22, and 23. Three times he left in peace. He left in peace. He left in peace. You study in your Bible, when you see something like that, something's being done. Something's being said. He left in peace. The emphasis is that David has commanded the community, let him go safely. Let him come and go as he pleases. Let him go back home. We got a deal going on. There's a covenant going on. Let him go without any worries, without any problems. But then someone, we don't know who, told Joab, you missed the opportunity. And then Joab, in anger and in vengeance, heads straight to the king. He approaches the king in a rather accusatory manner. What have you done? Why'd you let Abner go? In other words, what are you, what are you an idiot? How stupid can you be? He came to deceive you. You don't know that. Everybody else knows that. I don't think he did, but that's what, that's what Joab is saying. How, how can you treat my enemy this way? As your friend, you had fellowship with him, you ate with him. He's deceiving you. Why'd you let him go? When you don't get your way, when your boss or the king doesn't give you what you think needs to be done, what do you do? Humble yourself. Humble yourself. Check your perspective, check your attitude, submit to authority. Not him. Go behind his back. <laughs> Don't openly defy the king. It'll get you in trouble. Be sneaky. Be deceptive. Verse twenty six. Then Joab came out from David's presence. He sent messages after Abner. And they brought him back from the cistern of Sirah, but David did not know about it. That's important. And when Abner returned to Hebron, Joab took him aside in the midst of the gate to speak with him privately. And he struck him in the stomach, so that he died for the blood of Asahel, his brother. I, I wish I knew what the message was. I'm thinking, what, it, what could have Joab said to his messengers? Go get Abner and tell him the king wants him, but before you get to see David, bring him to me first. I don't know, doesn't say. Or maybe he said, listen, uh, Abner, come on back. Joab wants to talk to you." he's thinking, well, I, I was given peace. I was told by, by David that I can come and go with safety, so it must be okay. I don't know. But he comes back. He's met at the gate where the elders would gather normally, and he's killed for the blood of Joab's youngest brother, the one I was chasing him in chapter 2. Joab deceived Abner. And takes the opportunity to to kill him. And he does to Abner just what Abner did to his brother. Kills him at the gate. Sticks him in the stomach. Ralph Davis says, he never saw Joab's dagger until it was too late. It had been concealed behind David's promise. I like that. Hence, Joab committed the most sinister form of treachery, end quote. Joab no doubt thought, that he was avenging the blood of his brother, but I think as well, that he recognized that Abner was getting close to the king, and he was a rival to the high position of commander. Joab was the commander of David's army. Abner was the commander of Saul's army, Ishbasheth's army. When we do, when we do, as, as a people, when we have this kind of attitude and perspective, that we'll do whatever it takes. We'll say, we'll do whatever it takes to get what we think we ought to have or how we should hold on to our position, our posture, our our position, our power. Whatever it takes, things will go bad. This was not a case of avenging blood of his brother, okay? As they practiced in the ancient days. First of all, Asahel died in war. He died in war. There was a battle going on. It was also, some would say he was killed by Abner in self-defense. He told him twice, leave me alone. Verse 28, afterwards, when David heard of it, he said, I, David speaking, I and my kingdom are forever guiltless before the Lord for the blood of Abner, the son of Ner, may it fall upon the head of Joab and upon all his father's house and may the house of Joab never be without one. Commanding, calling on a curse, who has a discharged blood, an unclean person, or a leprous, or holds a spindle, crutches, some sort of disability, falls by the sword, dies in battle, or lacks bread, not enough to eat. So Joab and Abishai, his brother, killed Abner. And so you see, his brothers involved. Now all of a sudden, his brothers being brought into this. There must have been some sort of work between the two brothers. Because he had put their brother Asahel, which is the youngest, to death in the battle of Gibeon. Joab did exactly what David refused to do. Joab was second in command of David's army, but did not follow David in his character. David refused twice to take vengeance out on his enemies. David twice had an opportunity to kill Saul and to take out vengeance. But David stood by what the scripture says. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. David knew that, and David would not kill the Lord's anointed. David learned, if you remember, from Abigail, chapter 25 of 1 Samuel, the Lord has restrained you from blood guilt. Joab's ways was not the king's way. Joab was like Peter in the garden, thinking that he can rescue Jesus and his kingdom. And he pulls out his sword and his knife, or whatever he had, and he cut off the ear of the high priest's servant. And what did Jesus say? Put the sword away. Put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup that my father has given me? The kingdom of Jesus is not to be taken by force. Put it away, David. Put it away, Peter. And like Jesus, David immediately and emphatically distanced himself from this blood guilt. David said that he and his kingdom, the kingdom that God has given him, is forever guiltless before the Lord for the blood of Abner. Guiltless has a legal overtone to it. The liability of the offense and its consequence belongs to Joab and Joab alone. It is upon your head. Envy of position, I think, is very much mingled in this and what he did. Very much part of the motive and justification. We've got to be really careful what we do. And how we act. And how we hold on to things. And not do so. At the violation of God's word. God's promises. And the kindness and mercy we should show to others. We have to be very very careful. Because it happens today. People hold on to their power. We may not kill people. Hopefully. But we are envious. And and we're, we're power posturing. We may not do it by harming people. But we'll do it by trashing people. We'll do it by Uh, Harming them in different ways by holding on to anger and bitterness and unforgiveness toward others. Maybe we will somehow get in their way to subvert some sort of prosperity uh, that's coming their way. We have to be very careful. Like the disciples, remember the story. Jesus is in the upper room. He's the Lord's Supper. It's the night before in which he was betrayed and and, and crucified. And they're arguing about who's best, right? Who's the greatest, I'm concerned more about their place in the kingdom than honoring of the king, could happen to any of us, and it probably does. We have to fight against that. The power of play, the political posture, the personal payback, and finally, look at the people's pleasure. We we'll read the whole thing. Then David said to Joab and to all the people who were with him, "Tear your clothes, put on sackcloth, and mourn after or before Abner." And King David followed the beer. Michelob light. No, but that's how, really how you say it. They buried Abner at Hebron. And the king lifted up his voice and wept at the grave of Abner. And all the people wept. And the king lamented for Abner, saying, Should Abner die as a fool dies? Your hands were not bound. Your feet were not fettered. As one falls before the wicked, you have fallen. All the people wept over again over him. Verse 35. Then all the people came to persuade David to eat. Well, it was yet day. and David said, no, I swear God, do so to me. More also, I, if I taste bread or anything else till the sun goes down, I, I'm going to mourn and, and, and fast. Verse 36. And all the people took notice of it and pleased them. As everything that the king did pleased all the people. So all the people in all Israel understood that day that it had not been the king's will to put to death Abner, the son of Ner. And the king said to the servants, "Servants, do you not know that a prince, a great man has fallen this day in Israel? And I was gentle today, although anointed king. These men, these are the three sons of Zeruah, that's Joab and his two brothers, are more severe than I. The Lord repay the evildoer according to his wickedness. What's so interesting is that David is mourning and he sets a decree and he commands Joab, you killed him, you come out, tear your clothes and you mourn. You mourn over Abner. You attend his funeral. And David, just like he led the people to mourn over Saul when he died, he's leading the people to mourn over Joab and he's bringing the sons that are left to mourn for the one in whom they killed and David is following the coffin, and he's given this eulogy. He makes it clear that Abner didn't die because of some foolish act or a prison of war. He actually fell because of wicked men who deceived him. In fact, he forcing, by forcing Joab to be at the funeral to mourn over him, he's, he's like, this is this guy, it's his fault. David further honored him and buried him in Hebron. The place of refuge is the name of the city. Unbelievable. Notice something very important there. Here, look at our text. Verse 31, it says, King David. The full weight of his official title now is King David. Verse 31. And then verse 31 through verse 39, it's used seven times in a row. Not, you know, seven times in those nine verses. The king, the king, the king, King David, King David. And the king said... And the narrator is trying to underscore for us that David is the king, David the king, David the king, David the king. Because up to this point, the story is such a mess. A divided kingdom, 24 men dead, bloodshed. Nephew dead by the spear of Abner. Abigail taken from her husband, crying all the way home. Double agent Abner has killed himself. King Ishbosheth is a shell of a man. Joab full of anger and envy, cold-bloodedly kills another man. It's a mess. Yet in the midst of this, the last nine verses, there's a king, a king, a king, who is now being the kind of king that caught the people's attention. He is the, 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 the pleasure of the king as he leads this funeral, as he leads the people in a time of lamenting. Look what the scripture teaches us in these verses, that David was a good king. David was an innocent king. David was a gracious king and a gentle king. Verse 36. All the people took notice and it pleased them as everything that the king did pleased all the people. The word pleased is the Hebrew word for good. All the good that David is doing, it pleased them. It was good in their eyes that King David was a good king. He was a benevolent king. He was a kind king. Remember what David said earlier to Jabez Gilead? He said, uh, the good is going to come for, to you. The steadfast love of God is going to come because I'm going to be good to you. That's what he's saying here. He's the good king, showing them faithfulness and love. David's words after the death of Abner confirmed to all the people that he was good. He's also innocent. He's not a good king, he's an innocent king. Verse 37. So all the people in all Israel understood that day. It wasn't the king's will. All Israel Not just those from Judah, not just those from Hebron. I don't know how that all worked out, but there there were a lot more people there mourning. And they all knew that Joab was the one. It was not David. He was innocent. He was innocent. He's a good king. He's an innocent king. Look, he's a gracious king. Verse 38. Do you not know that a prince and a great man has fallen this day in Israel? He's speaking kindness towards Abner, who was his enemy for a long time. There was not a whole lot of love between them for a long time. David's responding to his death by saying gracious words toward this man. He was a gracious king. He's a good king. He's an innocent king. He's a gracious king, verse 39. He's a gentle king. And I was gentle today, though anointed king. Gentle, many times in the Old Testament, is, is a man who's weak, but not here. It's in comparison. Look, he says the other sons were rough and hard, but David is a gentle king. David is a gentle king. There's a place where he will be strong and he will be violent. He will kill, but not today. Today says, I'm gentle among you. I'm a good king. I'm an innocent king. I'm a gracious king. I'm a gentle king. In the midst of chaos, in the midst of death, in the midst of decision, excuse me, uh, selfishness and division, there's a good, innocent, gracious, and gentle king. Does that sound familiar? Does that not point to the ultimate king? Jesus, who is the ultimate good king from whom all the eternal loving kindness and benevolence will come to us. He alone is good. He alone meets our needs exactly at the right time. God is good. He's morally perfect. He is graciously generous. He is kind and benevolent, showing faithfulness and and generosity and mercy fulfilled to us in Christ. Titus 3, when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, the washing and regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus, the good Savior, our Christ. He's the good king. Jesus Christ is also the innocent king. He's the spotless lamb of God, the sinless one who never sinned, fulfilled the law flawlessly so that he can impute to us his righteousness on our behalf for those who believe Jesus also the gracious king Paul said there's no distinction all have fallen short of the glory of God and we are justified by grace unmerited love and favor as a gift through the redemption salvation redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom God put forward as a propitiation he died for us in our place taking the penalty for us by his blood to receive by faith. He's a good king. He's an innocent king. He's a gracious king. And let me tell you, lastly, Jesus is a gentle king. Come to me, he said. All who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burdens are light. Oh, you have burdens this morning? Do you know that sin and shame and brokenness is a burden? When you stand before a holy God, you and I are guilty and we share that burden. Are you weary because you're trying to rid yourself of the shame and brokenness on your own? Are you finding rest or are you burdened? Jesus is saying that restlessness, there's restlessness of guilt. There's restlessness of anxiety. If you are burdened by your sin, there's no hope for you, apart from the mercy and the grace of God. Jesus says, come to me, I will give you rest, right? He doesn't say, come to me, I have the answer for you. Come to me and I'll show you what to do. He says, come to me, I am your answer. I will give you rest. Rest from the penalty and power of sin. Rest from the guilt of sin. Rest in the love of God as a supreme burden bearer. He bore our burdens when he died. Isaiah 53, all that like sheep gone astray, all have turned everyone to His own way, and the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. Family, if we come to him, he'll lift our burdens. He's that kind of king. He's a good king, He's an innocent king. He's a gracious king. In spite of our sin and guilt and rebellion, He loves us. God loves us. God sent His Son Jesus Christ. He lived among us in every way, like us, yet he lived without sin. And he died an atoning death. He identifies with our humanity and yet he takes our sin upon himself. Scripture says he was made sin who knew no sin. He was made that curse for us so that we can have his righteousness. And now we praise God we praise God on the grounds of his sin-bearing, atoning death, and we come to him. He will lift our burdens. He will give us rest. We are full and free and receive the fullness and the freedom of forgiveness that he has for us. David is pointing to that king. Do you know that king? He's a, he's a, he's a great king. He, 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 is a, he is a good king. He is an innocent king. He is a gracious king, and he is a gentle king. Lord, thank you for that truth. Father, thank you for that truth. Lord, I, I I we just pray that we would just walk in that truth, that we would press that reality of our good King, the Lord Jesus Christ, into our souls. And you are benevolent, you are merciful, you are good. You are spotless and therefore you can give us your righteousness. You are gracious, we've never earned salvation, but you have given it to us freely as a gift by your death, burial, and resurrection. You are a gentle King who calls us to give you our burdens to be lifted from the burden of sin, death, and hell. Father, help us to praise you and worship you. One God, Father, Son, and Spirit, we pray. Amen.